Welcome to WDFG, Dear Final Girl Radio, the advice and horror podcast where life problems have an answer. Now here are your hosts, Lori and Tamara. Hello, Final Girl. Hello, Final Girl. How are you this fine evening? <laughs> I am good. I Like, I know we've already talked about this, but I'm just going to bring it up again. Uh, so we're on a Zoom call, and I am being very quarantine life by... Uh, I've just baked my first loaf of sourdough bread with a sourdough yeah. starter. And uh, the starter took like 20 days for it to mature which is about four times as long as it should take but that loaf of bread that I just took out of the oven is beautiful (laughs) yes yes I can attest that it was because you took your laptop and showed it to me and I'm really excited that I get one of these loaves um and can I also say that if only humans could fully mature in a in 20 day cycles (laughs) can I just say it would make the relative length of the of the of the uh the bread making seem uh, very different. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so you know, leaning into the quarantine over here. Um, <laughs> I love that. Mine as well. Mine is freaking well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what else are we gonna do? Also, like this is not something that this bread making thing. I've made bread before, right? Um, but it is especially this way like it took me all day to do this i started at like 5 30 in the morning and have been touching this like massive dough every half hour basically for so it's been 12 hours from start to finish today which is like why why and also i would never ever have time to do this otherwise Um, exactly so yeah exactly yeah so how are you doing pretty good pretty good um i'm excited that in uh in uh in the midst of quarantine and our more recent focus on um on, on movies that deal with that subject or that deal with, you know, life extinguishing viruses and bacteria, <laughs> um, where we, where we have not had letters, we've just decided to make those episodes more topical, mm-hmm. um, that with this episode, um, we, we are back to our letter format. Yeah. Really excited about that. Yeah. And, uh, and this, this one comes from a, a very good friend of ours, so shall I jump in? Yeah, let's go. Okay. Dear Final Girl, my mother recently lost her boyfriend and is really sad. As her now adult son, I'm looking out for her during this hard time, and I'm glad I can help, but it's still really tough. I've been going through some tough times myself. Can you send some words of encouragement our way? Thanks, TJ. And TJ, who is is also known um, by some as Tom, um, is TJ Denton. He's the official uh, the official artist of um, Joe Bob's um, website, 
Um, right. TJ and I are collaborators. Uh, <laughs> we're collaborators uh, on the uh, on the blog um, when we recap the Joe Bob episodes. Speaking of, I, I'm, this episode I, that we're recording right now, I believe, is going to air probably next week. It will air actually the day before season two <gasps> of the last drive-in premieres. Was it announced? I didn't. It was announced. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So Friday, the twenty fourth of April, um, and so so TJ and I have definitely been in touch, like during the hiatus for sure. Mm-hmm. But it'll be fun to, you know, be working together again. Um, and it was, you know, this letter came out really of just a conversation with TJ because I knew that. I knew that his mother was going through this hard time. Yeah. And, um, I, I, you know, we, we, we want to help everybody that we can through this show. And, and if we have a special opportunity to help our friends, then that's, that's, that's even better. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so in order to kind of have a anchor, a movie anchor to talk about this letter, um, Mm We chose the movie, The, the Lovely, Lovely Bones. Bones. Yes. So this is a, goodness, 2009 movie based yep. off of a Jodie Picoult novel. No, Alice Seabold. Oh, really? Really? Yeah, it was Alice Seabold. Yeah. Look at you. I read it. I just don't. Uh, don't remember the author, and I, for whatever reason, thought it was Jodie Picoult. Uh, it's it's along that same vein, though. Um, yeah. Where, okay, so the uh, IMDb, literally direct from IMDb, um, overview of this is a movie that centers on a young girl who has been murdered and watches over her family and her killer from purgatory. She must weigh her desire for vengeance against her desire for her family to heal. So uh, let's do a quick rundown of characters real quick. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we've got the Salmon family. It's a family of five. Jack and Abigail are the parents. And then there's Susie Salmon, who is the young girl who's murdered. She's like 14 when she's murdered. She's like freshman in high school. Um, And then her younger sister, Lindsay, who's like two years younger than she is. And then their younger brother, Buckley, who's around like six or seven when um, she passes away or she's murdered. Excuse me. There's also a couple of... um, side characters ray is the boy that Susie um has a crush on and starts a romance with but she gets murdered before they have their first kiss um and then ruth yeah ruth connors who lives out by the sinkhole dump and can see ghosts or kind of see the other world. She understands that the other world is there. Um, and then there's Mr. George Harvey, who is the murderer, the neighbor who is a yeah. murderer. That's right. That's right. And then 
even though I didn't think all of these scenes were effective, you know, one other character is is the grandmother in the salmon family. Oh shit, Susan Sarandon. Lynn, played by Susan Sarandon, oh, who I personally adore. Listen. <laughs> Like, I love everything about that character. You know, I said <laughs> that I wanted to be, like, if if the uh, Queen of the Trolls from Troll 2 is a fashion icon, I think that Grandmother Lynn is just, like, a, a life icon. Just, <laughs> like... She, she is, except for the fact that she drinks way damn, way too damn much. <laughs> there was but a... She seems to be lucid and helpful and rather philosophical, you know, alongside her boozing. So. <laughs> right. And uh, what I love, too, is that, you know, there's this whole montage of her and Buckley, like, trying to clean the house, and she's constantly got a cigarette hanging out of her mouth and she's constantly drinking a scotch or just some liquor and then later she's like i have to go pick up buckley from school and i was like whoa yeah <laughs> hope you're uh, walking put, grandma lynn <laughs> yeah and put your seatbelt on buckley because <laughs> your grandmother is drunk driving so yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so the whole movie sort of takes place in the late 60s, early 70s. I didn't see a... Early, early 70s. I think that it's like 71, 72, 73, something like that. Okay. And then there are, you know, as we learn that Susie's murderer, you know, this isn't just a one-time crime. Um, oh, we, right. we get... Yeah, we get some flashback because, um, you know, he's been killing for a long time. Um, and so I thought this might be a good time to say why why we picked this movie in particular. Oh, yes. Because, yeah, it's old. I mean, it's an older film, you know, but we are not bound here by, you know, uh, you know contemporary releases. No. So, 2009 um, is old? It seems like it. It seems like it. That, well, that was like 11 years ago. Jesus. Yeah. 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 So, um, and it's not a horror film, but it is a dark film. It is a right. dark film because of the nature of the crime. Um, and just this, you know, Stanley Tucci does just such an oh. amazing job as George Stanley. I mean, he is just like this just creepy, simmering awful guy you right know? and the way um, and he there's... moves his mouth when he's okay so uh real quick the um the way that harvey lures and then murders Susie is by um harvey builds a like a, a clubhouse basically in the middle of a cornfield but it's underground and he yeah. is like, Hey, come, come see this. All the neighborhood kids are going to see this. And then he murders her in there. Um, yeah. And so when he has her down there, Stanley Tucci, like the way he moves his mouth while he's watching her and talking to her is one of the creepiest things I've ever seen. I don't know why this guy didn't win an Oscar for this. 
Yeah, Maybe he really, he, he should, and I wonder if he, I don't know if he was nominated, but if he wasn't, he should have at least been nominated. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, but, the, so the reason, the reason um, that we picked this is, you know, I, I got to thinking about TJ, and, you know, I, I've never met TJ in person, <laughs> um, and, and I've, I've, I've never met, you know, we, we're just, we're remote friends. I've never met or spoken to his mother, and I don't know the circumstances of her boyfriend's death. But I thought it would be helpful to talk about a story where the, the grief and the loss are presented from multiple perspectives. And that includes the perspective of the person who is gone. Um, and for me, I just thought, you know, that it, it, um, you know, I don't know what the, what the spiritual beliefs are of the people involved. And even, even if you don't, even if you don't particularly have any, um, isn't it kind of nice to think that, you know, that person is the person who is gone is, you know, um, they're still thinking and feeling and processing and maybe even trying to communicate, um, while we're, while we're here and we're in this, you know, very one dimension. I mean, it just, just this, the crush of, of grief and loss and, right. you know, I don't even, I, I mean, I personally, I don't, I don't necessarily believe in heaven. So when I speak about the person you know, the person who is gone, you know, that, that maybe there's some consciousness there. I'm not, I'm not equating that to any specific religious or spiritual belief, but, mm -hmm. you know, maybe, maybe it's a comfort. Maybe it would be a comfort, um, you know, for, for the family to, to think about it that way. Um, and, and it does, it does offer so many different perspectives. Um, from all the, from all of the characters involved on, mm -hmm. on how people process grief differently and how quickly they mo move through the stages. And, um, it was a really fascinating study that way. Yeah, I agree. The, um, what is, um, so interesting about how they did this is, um, you know, we have at least five major characters, um, that are left six. Okay. Sorry. Um, six or seven, actually. Um, Buckley doesn't really seem to get a whole lot of attention. The little brother, the youngest brother, he doesn't seem to get a whole lot of attention, but the mother and father, of course, um, are have to manage their their grief and try to move forward um, in some manner. Um, the sister, Lindsay, um, has her own way of dealing with this. Um, Grandma Lynn has another way of dealing with it. Ray, the boyfriend, has another way of dealing with it and then even george harvey the murderer has ways that he 
he's his isn't grief, but his is like dealing with the the fear of getting caught and also the um the urges to yeah. kill more of these women um yeah. young yeah. girls really um and so having all of those perspectives there is really really interesting i think yeah and it, you know i i want to just mention briefly there's a there is a there's a definite magical realism quality to oh, this yeah. film i mean susie is telling her story from a place called the in between she has been she she meets a guide on the other side <laughs> and we come to learn that 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 guide she's another young girl and we come to find out at the end of the film that she was also one of George Harvey's victims. Mm -hmm. So, um, is it it's is it Holly Go Lightly? Like she likes to be called. Yeah, she likes to be called Holly Go Lightly. Yeah. <laughs> and it's she's Susie's guide. And she she shows Susie what they call heaven mm -hmm. and shows it to her as as a as a destination that they are, that they're moving forward, that they're moving toward mm -hmm. in, in this, in this, this land that they're in. And I think the, the, I think the fact that it's called the in-between, I think that's more Susie's experience in that place because she's not let, she's not let go yeah. of what happened to her in her life. And she's observing her family and, She's going through the stages of grief as well. Not only the fact that she, that she was killed, mm -hmm. but but seeing how her family is dealing with it. So um, um, it's 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 got some just really beautiful, uh, visually beautiful sequences. Right. Um, I thought they, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say that something that really stuck out to me when she was um, kind of dealing with her grief, there's a point where she watches her sister, Lindsay, uh, get her first kiss. And Susie was supposed to have her first kiss, like, the night that she got murdered, right? Or the, the night after she got murdered. A, a few days later. Yeah. yeah. Just like days later. And, well, she was supposed to have her first kiss. Like, they almost kissed. She and Ray almost kissed that day That's at the right. school. That's right. And yeah. then they got interrupted because um, the art teacher was mad at Ruth Connors for drawing boobs on a um, human figure. <laughs> uh, but... When Susie sees her sister kissing this boy, um, she comes to the realization that Lindsay is now surpassing her. She is continuing to live her along her own timeline, and she's not going to get that. She, um, she she kind of realizes, oh yeah, I've stopped. And yeah. that, you know, goes through 
with another one of the stages of grief, but it it's also like a, I think, at least for me, that was when the story started crumbling or the, the in-between place is yeah. starting to crumble around Susie. Um, and moving her toward a place where she wants to go. She wants to keep moving toward heaven. She wants to... You know, she she wants to she wants to get to where she's supposed to be, as the as the people that she has left behind are getting to, you know, a better place for themselves. Right. I did think I did think a lot of it raised a lot of questions about how we go through life. You know, I, I think whether most of the time whether we admit it or not we walk through most hours of our day with a certain set of assumptions, mm-hmm. expectations, beliefs about how things are supposed to go. And if anybody questions that, just have, just think about a day where like that one thing goes wrong you weren't expecting and how just, you just get so frustrated, mm-hmm. but the frustration, you know, it's like, we've got to understand the frustration comes from the fact that we just assumed our day was going to go a particular kind of way. Oh, that's so good. Yes. You know? Yes. Um, and I think that, I think that there's, there were a lot of metaphors hmm. um, that I think tie into this that I think represent like preserving things or oh, attempting yeah. to preserve things <laughs> or they communicate something about the power that routine has in our lives. So um, the very first scene we see Susie as like a little, you know, like five-year-old or something. And she's entranced by this, this snow globe. Mm-hmm. And there's some really early questions about, well, like there's a penguin inside the snow globe. Well, is the penguin is he trapped or, or is he, or is he in an eternal, an eternally happy place? You know, right, they right. produce that right off the, mm-hmm. the bat. Um, and then one of the, one of the hobbies that Susie and her dad had done together is like, he builds all these ships in a bottle. Yep. And he talks about like how important it is to, to once you start something, you see it through. Yep. Um, yeah. <laughs> if you start something, you do it until you get it right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the murderer, George Stanley. Um, Harvey. He, Harvey. Why did I say George Stanley? George right. Harvey. Um, he builds dollhouses. Which, Which is, is creepy. Creepy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not. It's not creepy. It's not a creepy hobby. No. Full stop. It's creep. It's creepy in the context of we know that this is a child murderer who is a man who lives alone in his house, like, um, and he explains it to the cop, Len. Um, he explains that to the cop, like, oh, that. Um, it's something that I, what did he say? It's something that I tried once and I found out that I have a real talent for it. And yeah. which is like right there, it's a metaphor for murder. Like, oh, you yeah. know, I, I could do it and I got away with it and I could do it really well. So, you know, now it's a hobby. Ooh. Yeah, I know. 
creep, creepazoid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, the interesting thing is, like, uh, early in the film, um, one of our first introductions to him is that he's this neighbor. He's the na- he's a neighbor. He's not, like, immediately next door to them, but he's, he's you know, very close in the neighborhood. And he has all of these beautiful roses in his mm-hmm. yard that he cares for, tends, maintains. I mean, roses are a lot of work. Like, roses are a lot of work. Uh-huh. And one of the... So, you know, that was a hobby. That was a hobby that he ends up... Um, he ends up not tending to those roses anymore because, really, you know, murder has become his his primary hobby. Mm-hmm. And when Susie's, I'd say about halfway through the movie or maybe two thirds, um, Susie's father, Jack, notices that all the roses are now dead. And it kind of, it, 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 that is part of what begins to pique his suspicion about this man. It's like, what, what would cause this change? Right. You know, he was so careful. He, he took a lot of pride. He doesn't anymore. Mm-hmm. You know why? And yeah. And there's the fact that he is, uh, hidden behind the roses in Susie's photographs, which are another sort of distillation of time and, you know, stopping things and, you know, a world in miniature, right? Yeah. Um, the, yeah, there's there's all of those things. And then there's a bunch of, oh, well, did you have more metaphors? Because... Those are, those are my major metaphors. <laughs> so there's also the charm that he keeps off of her charm bracelet, which is a little house. Yes. And the yes. gazebo from the mall that she and Ray were supposed to meet in, which actually shows up in the in between and becomes basically her home or her um, like centerpiece in there. Yeah. Um, yeah. The <laughs> I just wrote down so many metaphors and then knocked you know, said nine different things. Um, two other ones that aren't about the world in miniature, but have to do with the story, the sinkhole, which has oh, yeah. huge, like, the, so the sinkhole is where the family go. It's like, you know, the junkyard and people just throw things in the pit and it's bottomless. Right. And eventually Harvey, um, tries to throw Susie's remains into that sinkhole and is successful. He does because he has put her in this big, in this safe. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah. And he, he dumps her, he dumps her body there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then dad puts a candle in the window, just, he sees the candle flame and for whatever reason, it seems like Susie has a little bit of control over the candle flame. Um, there's a whole oh, scene yeah. where dad has put the candle in the window and he is looking through the window. Dad is Marky Mark, by the way, which I just love. because <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise known by the name he probably prefers 
prefer Mark Wahlberg. Oh, <laughs> yes, right. Oh, I didn't even realize. <laughs> it's Marky Mark. Um, you know, I did kind of think it's like now, okay, this was in 2009. And, you know, he did. When, when Mark Wahlberg is emoting in a role, he has this way. <laughs> oh. He just has this, this, way of doing it that it's I hate it's kind of funny sometimes and I think they probably like made fun of him on Saturday Night Live yes because it's almost a wine yeah it is it is like a wine it's like if you can't make the tears come then make your voice sound really (sighs) yeah but he was good in the I thought he was good in this role yeah 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 um there, so the candle in the window, and then there's also these flocks of birds. Oh, sort of a visual motif. There's a flock of birds up on the wall in um, the room where they build the ship in the bottle. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I don't think I had taken as note of that as much. Just visual motifs. Um, yes. but. I think that that real all of these things sort of really help sort of round out the story and remind us that like everybody in the story is trapped in some way. Yeah, yeah, and that um, yeah, because one of the things one. I tr- I made an attempt um, oh. <laughs> to um, so I I wrote you know there's a there's a, um, a very famous and long-standing model of the stages of grief which were mm-hmm. um, which were introduced I mean they were sort of like formalized um, by um, Elizabeth Kubler Ross this is this model has been around since I think the Mm seventies and basically that the primary stages of grief are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and then acceptance. And so I definitely, you know, as, as we, as we talk through this episode, I, I, I took a lot of my notes around the characters around those stages. Uh Uh-huh. And partly, too, because, again, you know, this episode is based on a letter from from our sweet friend TJ, and I thought it would be helpful to kind of anchor some of the story discussion in those actual stages of grief. Yeah. Um, but before, before I dig into that, one thing I noticed, because I, I ended up watching this movie like three times, <laughs> and... Um, it's a long movie. I mean, I think it's two hours and 15 minutes mm-hmm. and they spent a lot of time, um, leading up to, um, uh, George killing Susie. Yeah. Like that where they first encounter one another in the cornfield and how he convinces her to, to go down into the little, you know, clubhouse. Mm-hmm. They just, oh man, they lingered with just really to an uncomfortable degree mm-hmm. on how that whole 
interaction with them played out and how she she begins to feel like uh, this is this is this is not good that I'm here this is this is not right and that was just and the, the other thing that that I thought was interesting they juxtapose those scenes with scenes of her family at dinner again this whole idea of you know hey it just seems like a normal day right it seems like it's a day like any other day she you know she's not home yet she's late you know the discussion is around like she's gonna yeah don't worry i'm gonna talk to her she's she's gonna be in some trouble Mm -hmm. um and then the other kind of perspective on like you never you never sort of know (laughs) may not know what what's happening is there's the shot of the cornfield after they've already gone down into the clubhouse right and if you were just if you were just walking in that cornfield, you would never know that below ground near you, this horrible thing is, is playing out while you're going about what, what is your normal day. Right. Right. So, and so I think if we want to talk about the stages of grief, the cornfield is a good place to start, especially for dad. Because mm-hmm. once he figures out that Harvey is um, is the killer, once he's, like, kind of seen the roses, he's also, like, he's trying to help Harvey uh, put to get tied together this, uh, like, duck blind. And, uh-huh. which is another thing, like, okay, I'm a hunter, what did he say? Oh, I wrote it down. Um, uh, oh, have always been an avid outdoorsman or something. Yeah. Yeah, and he said hunting it takes concealment and patience, and that just like gave me shivers. But yeah, so uh, Jack, the dad, follows Harvey out into the cornfield where Harvey is has been stalking some you know young lovers who are going out there to make out and he's just watching them but of course you know watchers become touchers become rapists become murderers um and the interaction there is that uh Jack ends up he thinks he's just following Harvey he ends up attacking one of the lovers as they come through the field then the boyfriend uh, attacks Jack and beats the shit out of him and Harvey is just standing there watching he he doesn't get hurt he doesn't get touched he doesn't get noticed and I think it was really poignant how they showed that Jack's anger really didn't hurt anyone but himself. Like, he's the one that got the shit kicked out of him. And uh, Harvey is still just fine. So, like, the the, the anger is um, just came right back at him. 
Yeah, that 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 is that is interesting. You know, the with the with the first with the first stage of grief uh, denial, we see this in in Susie when mm-hmm. she realizes that she's she she is dead. She realizes that she is dead. She screams no. <clears throat> and Jack, her father, is. I mean, he is in a he is in a form of denial. You could, I mean, on the surface, mm-hmm. you could say he's in a form of denial the bulk of the film, but his denial. <laughs> this is one of those you know you have the benefit of being the the film goer, the spectator. Um, we know that Susie's trying to communicate with him, right? And he and his other daughter, Lindsay, and even Buckley, actually, seem able to kind of detect in some way Susie's presence and Mm -hmm. the fact that she's trying to reach out to them. So what looks like denial and a really unhealthy keeping alive of the situation, um, it turns out from another perspective, is they're able to see a little bit into this world Right. And that's why they're so convinced that either Susie isn't dead or that there's some way of there's some way of of reaching her, even if it's not through the normal means, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I think that um, Abigail, the mother, is really interesting the way that she deals with this because. Jack is still, you know, searching and drawing out the, um, uh, blah, 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 developing (laughs) these words that you haven't used for 20 years, developing the film. (laughs) (laughs) So one of, um, another of Susie's hobbies was to, um, take pictures and she's taking pictures of anything and everything. And Jack has the idea. Well, maybe if we, um, uh, develop this film, then we'll see the killer at some point. He had to have been stalking her. And if she's taking pictures of everything, well then maybe he's in these pictures. Um, and so dad is, doing one a month which was the deal right she she used Susie used up all this film really quickly and then is it 24 rolls they were doing the math because it was one a month right right but it was like 74 dollars and whatever 71 something um but however long it takes and the mom just can't take it. Abigail just can't yeah. take it because every time he would develop a role, he would find new people in that role of film to list as suspects. And so they'd open it up, open the wound again every month with a new role of film. And so what Abigail does, which had to have been a really rough decision um, is she just goes away. Yeah. She, she like abandons the family. Um, 
and goes and works on a farm in California or something like that. Um, yeah. And that is a way to deal with it. And it's not, I'm, I don't want to, I guess I could pass judgment on it, but like the, the emotions that she must have been going through having lost her daughter now her husband won't let it go. She's trying to move on. If she leaves the family, she also leaves her other two kids. Oh, but my mom, Grandma Lynn, is there. Maybe she'll take care of them. Like, there's there's a lot that goes into making that decision. And I... Um, she eventually comes back. Mm-hmm. Oh, and it was so sweet. Like, I, I did not judge her decision. I mean, it's 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 an uncomfortable decision. Um, it causes a lot of, you know, um, additional heartache for everyone. But it's also an example of, like, everybody gets through things in their own way. Yeah. And sometimes you have to remove yourself from a situation you may or may not go back, you know, right. she does go back and it's so sweet. Oh my God. That scene when she walks in the house and Jack is like at home, he's recovering from, you know, having gotten beat, beaten up in the cornfield. <laughs> and you know, you're kind of wondering how's he going to react to her? Is uh-huh. he going to welcome her back? Does he still love her? Are they going to, you know, are they going to be able to go on as a family? I'm going to cry. And he's just looks at her and is like, my girl. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was so my sweet. Girl. And the, the outcome of that, Lindsay has just found Harvey's notebook with all of his plans. Lindsay has broken into Harvey's house. Um, I do not condone breaking and entering, but, you know, she... <laughs> She's the one that cracks the case, right? And she comes home with that and she's going to show her dad all the plans with Susie's name in it. Like the... the... And a lock of her hair. Oh, yeah. Oh, that was creepy. Yeah. Gross. Um, Yeah. And then uh, she sees her parents... uh, reunion yeah and she's basically like oh well like they're happy now together maybe this (laughs) she definitely knew it wasn't the time um and it almost seemed like she was giving up um but she did give the she did put the book in the hands of grandma lynn like all right grandma lynn grandma lynn will help figure out the right time to let the other people in the family know, uh, hey, we found something. BT Dubs, <laughs> the murderer. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things I thought, you know, I kept I kept thinking about Abigail's character. She's not, you know, Jack the father is, is um, he has more screen time. It's, you know, because he's really actively wanting to, to track, you know, try to find the murderer. There's different ways of 
of letting go and accepting because just because you're the person in the family who is saying it's time to let go, it's time to move on. It doesn't mean that's actually what you're doing because, Mm -hmm. you know, she can't go into Susie's room and, you know, the degree to which she has let go and moved on is revealed in the fact that she ends up leaving the family. I mean, she's still, her, her grief process is still very active and very painful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, there can be what looks like a moving on on the surface and the kind of moving on that just really can only come at a, after you know at a certain point and that point is is different for everybody right that's a really good point because grandma lynn just before she leaves is like you're not dealing with this you you can't even go to her room you've got a tomb in the center of your house um which you know it's basically that room that nobody goes into Grandma Lynn doesn't live in that room. She shares a room with Buckley, which is <laughs> so cute. Um, <laughs> the the time that uh, Buckley is painting Grandma Lynn's toenails, it's just that is awesome. So adorable. Um, but you know that room becomes the dollhouse, becomes the snow globe, becomes the gazebo. Oh. Um, you know, sort of the, it becomes the ship in a bottle. It becomes, you know, ensconced. It's yeah, a little, little tomb. Um, that is a great observation. You know, I was thinking about the 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 anger, like you know, stage two anger. So we see Jack. There's a scene where Jack breaks almost all of the ships in a bottle that he and Susie have created together. He just, you know, he's kind of, he's reached his breaking point. He breaks, he breaks all of these, all of these bottles. Um, and around the same time, Susie in the in-between, her anger is around like, well, who, who am I anymore? Like, who am I in this family? Who am I in this new world mm-hmm. that I am finding myself in? Where is my place? What is my place? And that's, that is, uh, that, I just thought that was really powerful because when you lose somebody or even when you just have a situation that is a source of ongoing pain, yeah. Um, whether it be, you know, kind of minor or, or more major, you are defining yourself in relation to that pain and that situation. Mm-hmm. And it's it's your definition of yourself and, and others. It becomes very skewed because it's, it's around this hurt. And you, it really is hard. It's like, well... We, we are, this is another thing, you know, we, we walk through life and, and we probably don't realize we do. So much of who we are is we are on some level 
defining the own borders of who we are based on the relationships that we're in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, when situations erupt, that's when you realize, oh my God, you know, the, just how much you're doing it and, and right. how impossible it is not to do it. I mean, there may be a few human beings out there who, um, you know, don't process information in that way, but, but uh, the bulk of humans need to be connected and they do define themselves in terms, at least in part, by their connections, whether they, it's something they actively, you know, think about or not. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, this part that you're talking about, um, after Jack smashes all the bottles, um, at, we see this, these beautiful scenes of, um, of Susie and Holly, like ice skating and running crazy on this, you know, you dressing up in disco clothes and dancing on a record player, you know, giant record player and all of these beautiful scenes of like happiness. And then she says, um, Susie says at night, I keep coming back. I keep seeing my death again and that she always comes back to the same door and she's too afraid to open it. And I think that that in a way is a lot of how many of us at least begin to process grief or any very um, intense emotion is that we'll walk up to that door and we're so afraid of feeling the the feeling of sadness or grief or um or anger or whatever stage we're at that we are in denial and we'll walk away from it but like Susie we're gonna keep reliving it we're going we're still by not feeling that pain we continue to feel all of the other emotions that the avoidance causes so whether yeah. it's fear or anger or um sadness or whatever um so it's it's almost like we're more comfortable with the pain of denial than we are with the actual just being sad yeah because you think that you're you you can convince yourself you can try to convince yourself that something's not bothering you but it's gonna it's gonna come out somewhere else i mean it's going now i i will tell you i have i have a friend and i've had this friend for a very, very, very long time, I will. I won't say who it is. I mean, nobody. I, I don't think I've. I've talked. To, is it I me? Don't know if I've talked to, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> but I. I asked him one time. I mean, I think God oddly, and this was years ago. It was like I think I ended up sort of asking him. He was having a tough time at work. He was working in an office environment that was very difficult, very challenging. 
and it I, it was causing him a lot of stress and I, I was just trying to ask how are you dealing with it and he quoted I feel like he quoted a movie or a show but it was basically like you take it he's like I take it and I stuff it and I and I crumple it into a ball and I stuff it as far down into myself as I possibly can, oh, and I never let it come out again. Uh-huh. And, uh, I don't necessarily encourage this as a coping mechanism, <laughs> um, but it, that approach can help in the short term. Mm-hmm. And I, I do kind of oddly think that it has worked for my friend Although I've learned a lot more in more recent years about just how much anxiety and some certain health problems that this friend has had that I'm like, well, hmm. Yeah. That, uh, that bleeding ulcer or, (laughs) you know, right. Um, And so you mentioned this before and I, I actually wrote down the line that Susan Sarandon, grandma Lynn says, when she confronts Abigail about the room, she says, do you really think that if you seal it up that the pain is going to go away? And I think the juxtaposition of those two scenes, because they happen back to back, is when when um, Susie says, I keep coming to this door and I never go in because I'm afraid. And Lynn confronting Abigail about the empty room in the house, you know, obviously they're supposed to speak to one another that the, that Susie's paralleling, like not seeing exactly what Harvey did and what Harvey was is parallel to everybody kind of you know, tiptoeing around their grief and not looking directly at it. Um, And like you have a lot of sympathy for these characters because it's really hard. It's really hard to feel these feelings, you know, especially God. So, uh, you know, Max watched this movie with me again and we have a, 18 month old son and we have another kid that we're gonna hopefully deliver in two months or less and like the um max was just like god i hope that our kids outlive us you know like Mm. can you i can't imagine the the pain that these parents have and having to even think about looking directly at that pain and all of the things that go with it. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, my, my grandmother, oh my God, that, that woman just saw it all. She outlived two of her children. Mm. Um, one of those children was my mother. Um, and I just... God, how that woman made it through, I, I just don't know. She she outlived her husband by many years because he he was so much 
older than her when they got married. He was actually like, now see, this would be awful today, right? This would be terrible. Mm -hmm. But it, but she basically married one of the teachers at the school that she went to. So she was like 18 and he was 32 and they had six children together and, um, you know, a happy, a happy life. And he died. He actually died before I was even born. Um, so I never got to meet him, but she outlived him by like almost, almost, I mean, a good 25 years, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and, um, it's just, yeah, it's some things are, you know, I've been through the, I've been through the loss of my parents. And so it's sort of like, God, what, what's worse? Is it worse for a child to lose their parents or is it worse for the parent, a parent to lose their child? They're both just equally horrible. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but you know, the movie, it's like, I remember telling you that I was like, I cannot watch this movie like one more time. (laughs) Yeah. I think I was, I kind of, like I started to talk about it like it was a downer. It, this movie was not a downer at all. It, no. it definitely had a very positive, you know, a very positive and affirming message. And she says at the end, um, well, there's like a great quote at the end that would be kind of a good wrap up or toward the end of the episode. Yeah. Quote. I can hold on it. What? what are there other things you want to talk about? Um, I think only that, uh, like, um, now thinking about it, it's pretty, um, it's kind of a, a two by four metaphor, but um, at the, after dad is, follows Harvey into the cornfield, Susie realizes She's like watching her dad both uh, follow Harvey and basically saying like, no, don't do it. Like he's dangerous. He will hurt you. And she kind of realizes her dad isn't going to give up and her gazebo falls into the sinkhole. And so once she realizes her dad's not going to give up, she realizes, okay, now I need to get past this fear because if I know what's going on, then maybe it'll be better for everybody else. Um, And that's when she meets all of the, or sees all of the others that um, Harvey has killed, including Holly. Yeah. And, um, at some point she sees, the safe that's in Harvey's basement where her remains are. Um, The, but yeah, let's, I I think that, you know, IMDB kind of had that as the like thrust of the story is that, you know, if she doesn't face her own death, then, uh, her family won't. She has to choose between... What did it say? I've got it right here. Uh, she must weigh her desire for vengeance against her desire for her family to heal. Um, and I think everybody kind of goes through that as well. That, you know, 
dad, it takes getting the shit kicked out of him in a cornfield, but he realizes, like, I only have so much control over this. And the, um, Lindsay also, she, she goes into heart, she breaks into Harvey's house, but she realizes that she has to give that notebook up. And yeah, so this chasing that she's been doing, she has to, you know, give it up. And eventually even Abigail goes into the room and yeah, which was so sweet. God. Yeah. It's, it's like the, the Susie says that it's like, ah, oh, I'm going to cry. I'm going to try not to cry. But it's basically like, I realized that I had, I had been waiting for my mom. It's like, I had been waiting for my mom. Basically, you know, come, come, come back into me and come back into my space. And, oh my God. And the mother's in the room and she's like, I love you, Susie. And it was just like, oh my God, I'm dying. I'm dying. (laughs) I am dying. Um, I think it is just, you know, I'm, I'm trying, I'm steering clear of, uh, any kind of specific, uh, religious or spiritual beliefs. Uh, my own tend to be very vaguely defined. It's sort of like, (laughs) I I know what, I know what they are, but it's hard for me to describe. But I am very intrigued, even if just, even if just on a philosophical level, that it could be true that a person's ability to accept their own death, if there is something after this physical existence, and whether that could impact those who are left mourning them. I mean, that's one of those questions that has no answers, but it's, it's, it's intriguing to think about. Unless you can, you know, have a conversation with the ghost that lives in your house. I I don't think that's something that, um, yeah, that can be answered, but it is a nice thought or it is an interesting thought. Um, so was that the quote that I was waiting for my mother to come home Uh, to me? That wasn't even it. I don't know how I'm going to get through this one, but I'm going to (laughs) try. Actually, this one, this one is so sweet. She talks, so the, the the title of the film and the book is Lovely Bones. And it, um, it, it makes its way into a quote. Susie talks at the end of the film about the lovely bones that have grown around my absence. Um, the connections, sometimes tenuous, sometimes made at great cost, but often magnificent often magnificent that happened after I was gone. Mm-hmm. And she says that I began to see things in a way that let me hold the world without me in it. Yeah. Oh my God. It's just beautiful writing. It's just incredible writing. Um, that is gorgeous writing. Followed almost immediately by Harvey falling into a quarry and dying. Yay. <laughs> but I thought that she, that was, I thought it was a little cheesy because it's like there was sort of this magical presence that caused this, uh, you know, presumably a, a, a very dangerous icicle 
to loosen and drop from a tree <laughs> above where he was standing. Right. It hits him in the shoulder. He winces in pain, and it causes him to tumble into this ravine just as, as he had dumped Susie's own body into a pit. <laughs> And so it's like, well, uh, okay, what is this, the, a Christmas story here? It's the icicles yeah. fall after all. <laughs> <laughs> You'll shoot your eye out. Um, yeah, I think that, uh, God, that line, it, they let me hold the world without me in it, was just, uh, like, heart-wrenching. Okay, so real quick, because we're at about an hour, um, so this was directed by Peter Jackson, and yeah. he had just recently finished up the Lord of the Rings trilogy prior to doing this. There is a point where at the bookstore at the mall, there's a Lord of the Rings poster in there. But oh, you're right. The, the, well, IMDb also says that I didn't <laughs> I didn't put two and two together but I did so I don't know who did this movie I'm sure I could just look it up right now but this reminded me a lot of the Robin Williams movie What Dreams May Come I knew you were gonna say that oh, good. Yep. um yep. there I mean there's a lot visually going on that remind me of that. There's a lot visually going on in this that also remind me of sort of like the journeys into the um, elven layers of uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. But um, I think that what Peter Jackson does with this sort of defining the two worlds was really beautiful yeah it it was it was amazing there were certain scenes where i felt like oh, i'm not quite sure they're they're pulling it off but <laughs> yeah. but it it did it was really effective you know there was something else it's that um early in the film um the worst thing that we think Susie introduces like the worst thing that it, that had happened to our family up to that point before she died oh, was that her little brother Buckley almost died because he got choked on something. Yeah, he swallowed a twig. <laughs> he swallowed a twig. And then now he does survive. Mm -hmm. And um, they're all at the hospital and Grandma Lynn is there and is like, you know, I mean, like you're going to live a long and happy life because you have helped you have, you know, you have helped save this other per. You know, you mm -hmm. have helped save the this Buddhists other say. <laughs> and I thought it was. Of course, she ends up being very wrong. Mm -hmm. um, but I thought it was so interesting that actually the last, the, the, you know, there's a lovely quote. That lovely quote about the lovely bones growing up around my absence. And at the the very last line of the film, Susie tells us out here in the world. May you have a long and happy life. Mm. And I couldn't help but think of the beginning of the film and the fact that she didn't. And, you know, frankly, we none of us know how much time 
that we that we have here. Uh, mm-hmm. this, this this is this is part of the the big set of assumptions that we make on a daily basis that we always have another day that's that's coming. And I think it's just when we can, when we can, you know, to just to appreciate how beautiful and precious life is because we, you really just don't know. Yeah. You really just don't know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So do we have a prescription for TJ um, recommendation? I think, you know, I applaud him for, for being there for his mom. You know, our, our parents raise us. And then sometimes we, we, you know, as we get older, you know, a lot of children find themselves in the role of caretaker of their parents. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think, I think, you know, just being in the moment, loving, supporting, sometimes that happens with words. Sometimes it happens with hugs um, everybody's, everybody's in the situation is feeling their way and dealing with their own pain and helping one another's in, in the best way that they know how. And that, that's, that's all you can do. That's yeah. all you can do. You do, you don't, there, there's not a problem to solve here. This is not a solvable, right? This is not, it's, it's not that. So it's just a day by day kind of thing. Yeah. I, I think that um, it's really important to remember that, like, we all deal with these things differently, but also at different speeds. And, yes. like, sometimes you'll take a couple steps forward and then find yourself, you know, back in the place that you were or feeling worse than you did the day before. And it's not... Whereas a movie can make this really linear and give us some good plot points to go by, um, you know, life isn't linear. Often it's more circular and, um, you know, series of cyclical even. Um, And so having a little bit of um, forgiveness for other people's, um, inability to move linearly, um, is something that I think is, I don't know, it, it's helpful to me, especially when, you know, just, dealing with other people to try to remember like we're just all trying to do the best we can um absolutely and you know there's some stuff and it's really it's amazing when this happens and the 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 metaphor I've kind of come up with for myself is that you sometimes years later you may end up going back and collecting things from the table that were left on the table mm-hmm. of whatever experience you had that you could not gather at that time. Mm-hmm. It's only later that you can go, hey, I left, I left some stuff 
and this now this other situation has happened to me and it's 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 connected that it's connected these dots and i realize like wow this makes me think of this this other thing and you know like these 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 less these what life is teaching us you know you, you i just i feel like we're, we we don't we don't get all the pieces you know, we're, we're, we're gathering those pieces until the, the day that we die, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, yeah. And yeah. some of our puzzles are more complete than others, but none of them are fully... Uh, the cat has stolen at least one of the pieces for... <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, goodness. <laughs> All right, final girl. Well, yeah. and we hope... Hope this is hope this has been helpful, TJ. And and don't know if it's something that your your mom would want to listen to or be ready to. But you know, if the time is ever right and you feel like it would be good for her, then uh, let let her know. Let her know she's got some friends out here who who wanted to to try to help. Yeah. And if uh, you are listening and you or a friend, we haven't done this in a while, but. Uh, you're welcome to please email us at dearfinalgirl at gmail.com or tweet us at finaldear. And we're here. Um, we'd love your letters, your movie recommendations. They don't have to be sad movies. <laughs> it doesn't have to be, you know... Um, I'd like to remind everyone that we do all sorts of letters um yeah. not all of them are are this serious um and because we did do, we did do troll too let's let us remind <laughs> yeah. we did do an episode on troll too so, right, so if you don't think that we have range you know i invite you to go back and listen to it. <laughs> oh gosh um I, I have nothing to say to that. <laughs> me, me neither. I think it's a good it's a good place to end. So yeah. uh, see you see you around, all you finals out there. Yeah, we'll see you later. Stay safe. All right, take care. Stay safe. Bye. Bye. Hey, final girls, final boys, and final non-binaries. Tamara and I are honored to be your dear Abbies of horror, but that's all we are. People struggling just like you. We're not professionals. If you're in crisis, please reach out. We like to pr promote the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at suicidepreventionlifeline.org, phone number 1-800-273-8255. There's an online chat, and they're even on Twitter. Their profile is The Lifeline, and the handle is at 800-273-TALK. The Lifeline isn't just for life-threatening situations. It's free and confidential support for anyone who needs it at any time for any reason. Just know you're not alone. Tam and I wouldn't be doing this podcast if we hadn't been there too. Take care.